If you dig this show, please consider rating it and reviewing it. And if you really like it, become a Relax Your Grid superfan on Patreon. It's just $2 a month, and it means so much to me, and it really helps me put in the time and energy to produce each episode. Welcome to Relax Your Grid. I'm your host, Matt Brown. In this episode, I get to speak to Olav Johansson of the Swedish band Vessen. Many of you might know their music, and maybe you even play some of their tunes. It was a great honor to get to sit down and actually ask Olav about some of my favorite tunes that I've been playing of theirs for a long time, and to also hear about his brand new project under the name Vessen. The band is now a duo, and they have a new record out called Duo. Here's our conversation. My name in Swedish pronunciation is Olof Johansson. And you're your wonderful viola player. How do you how do you pronounce his name? Mikael Marin. And the guitar player who spent decades with you, how do you pronounce his name? Roger Tallrot. Johansson, welcome to Relax Your Grid. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. So you live in Sweden, correct? Yes. In what part of the country do you live? I live just outside Uppsala, and Uppsala is an old university town, an hour's drive north of Stockholm, the capital. The, The very first guest on this podcast is a friend of mine who's from Sweden, lives in Chicago. Patrick Alberg, and he put out a beautiful guitar album of Swedish music on the guitar. And from him and a, a few of my other Swedish friends, I've heard of Uppsala. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Um, is that a place where traditional Swedish music has been particularly rich for a long time? Yeah, in in the in the province of Uppland, which is surrounding Uppsala, uh, it's been a very rich tradition of, of, of music, uh, especially connected to the Nyckelharpa, because that's where the instrument has been, uh, it, where it's been developed and played for many hundreds of years. To the best of your knowledge, when did the Nyckelharpa, when was it invented or when, when do we have the earliest documentation of it existing as such? <laughs> the the oldest picture is from 1350. Oh my goodness. Uh and it's a stone carving on a church on the island of Gotland. Uh and then there's several quite a few church paintings as well in the uh, and that's especially here in in the area of Uppland and they're from the 1400s and the 1500s and it's angels playing the nickel harpa and they are high up in the ceiling <laughs> close to god <laughs> um but then um there's also a few other finds in other parts 
uh, of the world. There's one church painting in Italy. Um, there's uh, a small statue uh, on a house in Germany from medieval times. But it's, it seems like it's been a very unusual instrument in medieval times. And it's not until maybe the early 1600s when the instrument picks up here in Uppland and they create this model, um, the old style Swedish Nikoharpa. Uh, so, so this is the only place in the world where we know it's actually been played, where there's music still left, where there's instruments still um, remaining and so on. But, um, and there's no one knows really, but there's many exciting theories. What's your favorite of the exciting theories? <laughs> well, the last one is, um, it's a, it's a guy, uh, and he's been looking in like every trace of a nickel harpa he has found. He he follows it up and he goes to see it and he interviews people. And his um, his um, thesis now is that when Swedish soldiers who were involved in the Thirty Year War, it was a big, complicated war in in Europe in the 1600s and when they when the so, uh, soldiers from Uppland returned back home they've had they have seen the Sorbischergeige for example which is a it's kind of a fiddle type instrument uh, played by uh, uh, it's a Slavic minority living in Germany uh, the Sorbs <laughs> um, they're still there and they have their own language and they have a special kind of Geiger with the same kind of curved bend, bent top. And there's also hurdy-gurdies around. So his idea, they've seen this Sorbische Geiger and the hurdy-gurdies and they mocked up the, <laughs> the, the first versions of the Swedish nickel harpa in the 1600s and, and it got popular. And we don't know if that's true, but it's an interesting idea. <laughs> Indeed. How much how much has the nickel harpa changed then in these hundreds of years? Like the I know you play nickel harpas of, of a couple different sizes, and it has this angelic at times sound, but sometimes it's kind of spooky. And <laughs> I, I wonder, like structurally, is can you say like, oh, the the, the instrument I'm playing today is you know, similar in these ways, but has has changed in these other ways. Is it obvious how how different or similar it is? Well, to me, it is. Um, each period have had its most popular instrument, uh, like the one I'm the mo most modern one I'm playing right now. It's it's an octave nickel harpa tuned like a cello, basically. That was invented in the nineteen eighties by a friend of mine and his father. <laughs> uh, and the, the similar type to that one, but an octave higher, which is the standard one, uh, that was invented in the 1930s by uh, August Bullin. <laughs> 
so we know who that was and um the model before that uh, was the silver boss harpa so from 1830 to 1930 basically and that i think that was inspired by the small button accordions where you got uh, or it was easy to chord uh, to get chords to the music and the type of music they played on that nickel harpa is really typical early 1800s major tunes and while playing on the playing mechanism you get the tonic and the dominant automatically while playing so you, you only play in one key on that one and the model before that <laughs> was contrabass harpa and that's more modal music so you have melody and drone but you can change the drone uh, and it's still chromatic uh, it's even quarter tones special tangents for quarter tones on some of them so you can play in many keys but you you always play music uh, that fits with the drone on that one wow so that that brings us very quickly to the the underlying theme of this podcast the the show is called Relax Your Grid, and the reason for that is other names were already taken, <laughs> and because I'm fascinated by how throughout traditional music around the world, but also popular music of the modern era and previous eras, different styles are more based on like grids, so whether the rhythm is very square so that every beat is the same length, or that we're dealing in equal temperament or where, where there are quarter tones and microtones and all of that. And you play a kind of music where there's a lot more um, variety in, in the scale choices and the rhythm than the old time fiddle music that I grew up with. Um, and certainly the way classical Western classical music is taught here in the States, even though old time music has microtonality and, and rhythmic and rhythmic variation. But I, my impression of Swedish traditional Swedish music is that you have maybe a, a, a larger palette for notes to choose from, and even how you treat a three-beat measure. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, as it as it is now, uh, as as a traditional <laughs> as a traditional musician uh, these days in Sweden. Um, we kind of pick and choose uh, from the different, we're not only playing music from a certain era, from a certain area. <laughs> but if you think it's more fun to play more asymmetric polskas from the Western part of Sweden, you play that music. <laughs> or if you're into or music from old manuscripts, scripts from the 1700s all polonaise type of music you can play all of that <laughs> in the same concert or on the same jam session while uh, i i was looking into the repertoire of a musician he lived in the 1800s and it was almost all major tunes and he he played the popular music of his time the popular dance music of his time um, and when 
when he got old, he got a hearing problem. So he had difficulties in learning new music. And then he came out of fashion because the young people wanted to hear the new cool tunes. And he was, <laughs> he was getting old and playing quaint music, they thought. <laughs> While we nowadays, we, can we pick and choose from the whole history. So that's, that's a privilege, I guess. <laughs> The latest album that I know of that you've made is this glorious duet album, um, Vesson album called Duo. And I had the privilege, so a, a couple episodes ago, I got to speak with Jake Sheps, who runs several camps, uh, the Banjo Summit, the Modern Mandolin Workshop, and then he, in January, put on Hocktail Camp. And you, you were a special guest and you gave a performance that I was able to watch, thanks to Jake. Um, where you were playing some of the music off of off of the new album. So tell me a little bit, as a, as a longtime fan of Vesson, um, which had been a trio for a while with guitar, how did the new duo album come about? Yeah, we've been a trio for quite a long time. Um, but as it, as it can be sometimes, we kind of ran into a um, creative... Uh, dead end or something <laughs> and Roger wanted to do to focus on other things uh, and the pandemic happened uh, and it was during that time uh, so Mikael and I we wanted to continue we still felt that we enjoy very much playing together and creating music and for us it was like a creative boom to sit down as a duo because many ideas you had over the years that you felt that no this won't this won't be fertile <laughs> in the trio <laughs> but um, we tried many of those old ideas and came up with new ones and uh, it was just joyous uh, and we used instruments that's also been hard to use in the trio. So Mikael came up with this bass. I guess it's a bass fiddle. <laughs> it's really a viola, an electric viola that he put um, uh, octave strings on. Uh, and he's mostly picking or and also playing bow on it. And then he, he has a violoncello da spala also, which is a, a small cello uh, plate up here. And that's an instrument that has uh, existed before. Um, there's a small community in the Baroque world who is um, into that. <laughs> uh, and I, I started to use other kinds of nickel harpas more. Um, and we had just fun exploring these new ideas and these new sounds well it it's a gorgeous record and what i liked about seeing the concert you gave for hocktail camp so seeing you perform the, the material live and then enjoying the album since then um is that i hear some of the elements that i've always loved about vesson's music um these incredible melodies 
And I'm not always sure, I, one of the things I want to ask you about, I'm not always sure what's a traditional piece versus a composed piece, which um, as a traditional musician, if someone's not sure that you've written a tune or it's an old tune, I feel like that's a that's an accomplishment that you're you're adding to the to the mix and to the repertoire without standing out like a you know a sore thumb as we might say. So they're they're gorgeous tunes as always, but I was really struck by the the two things you just mentioned, which is um, Mikel playing these bass notes that are so rich and they have this pop to them because um, it's pizzicato, it's an electric version of the instrument and the the offset between those those pieces where you, your angelic sound is on top uh with the melody and then he's got these beautiful precise um moments of, of the low rich sounds that he's plucked like that's that's all you need is is the counterpoint between these bass lines because he's all he's always even with the bow of course always had these beautiful um counterpoint lines that he's played in the in the band but then, like you said, with with the small cello that goes on the shoulder under the chin, maybe this album more than any other Vesson album to me, I hear Baroque elements. There are some tracks where I'm like, wait, is that is could that be a, an actual a Baroque piece like that they learned off of a manuscript manuscript? Are any of those latter group are any of them classical works or are you just conjuring up those sounds? I wouldn't say anything of it is classical work, but uh, if if. I'm not sure now. All I don't remember all the pieces on the <laughs> on the recording. But <laughs> let me actually give you an example because I have, for example, this track. That is probably composed in maybe the 1950s or something. Yeah, and it's um, it's a tune I've played since I started to play the nickel harpa. It's composed by the famous nickel harpa hero we had, Eric Salström. And he composed this tune for an open-air mass that he was asked to play on. So he, And he told this story to this tune. Uh, he composed this tune to have something special to play on this open air mass down by the lake. Um, and he got into his car. He had an old Volvo PV and it was a, a winding dirt road down to the lake. And it was so winding. So he, he forgot the tune. So he played uh, a traditional march, a bit slow, that is called Brennvinslåten. <laughs> Bas basically uh, moonshine march <laughs> kind of for spirits but he played it a bit slowly and, and ceremonial and people liked it very much but then on the way back he along the winding road he remembered the tune uh, and he practiced it a lot when he got home uh, so he would remember it and uh, then it's been a real hit. It's played by 
most nickel harpa players in Sweden and it's been set for choir and classical orchestra and it's a very popular popular tune. How do we how does one pronounce the name of the title? Andakten. Let's let's give it a listen. Of, of traditional Swedish musicians playing in the church versus playing, you know, for dancing or, you know, for enjoyment at home. How how much did playing in church influence those traditional players? Because I one story I've heard is, is that there was a generation of musicians who had basically two versions of their repertoire, the version that had all the quarter tones and the microtones, and then those same pieces they might play, like, They'd call that playing it the old way, and those same places they'd play in a newer way that matched the the temperament of a, like a keyboard, like an organ in the church. I think I think that that was happening <laughs> for for some fiddlers, and that we do the same um, still. If if you're playing a tune together with a, a piano player or or an accordion player, you have to choose. Uh, and if you're playing it on only on fiddles, for example, you're, you're using a, a different intonation. As a nickel harpa player, does that mean you choose a different nickel harpa that has, or those, or, or do you just does your standard instrument that you take to a jam? Do you have the option of having the different tonalities built like on the same instrument? The standard I would bring to a jam is um, uh, that's a chromatic instrument. Um, so I. I can bend the tones somewhat. You, I can bend the string, like on a guitar, up, uh, and you can, you can uh, make it go down with the bow, just with extra bow pressure. Yeah, and as you go down in speed, and and so that's how you intonate on your nickel harpa with with left hand pressure. You can raise the tones and adjusting with a bow to lower the pitch. When did you begin playing traditional music? When did you come to the nickel harpa? Were you a young young child? I was I was 14 when I started and my um, my mother and all her siblings played music just for fun. And there was all kinds of instruments. It was fiddle, nickel harpa, double bass, piano, guitar, accordion, mandolin. Uh, and it was always a, a jam session on the family parties on my mother's side. And that's, uh, I thought that was amazing. People sitting down, just playing tunes from their head uh, and enjoy having fun, enjoying. I really liked it. So... Uh, we borrowed the nickel harpa from my uncle. He had he 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 was the nickel harpa player, 
and my mother enjoyed it. So she bought an instrument from a friend of the family who had built a few. So I started to, to play on that instrument and it turned out to be my path of life. <laughs> I'd say it's working. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have formal instruction from, from older members of your family or older musicians, or were you just ingesting this in those jam sessions around home or at family gatherings? First, I went to see my uncle and I recorded. Um, I remember I had uh, the first recorder I, I had to use. It was not even a cassette. It was open reel. <laughs> but this big. Um, <laughs> and I recorded some tunes that he played and, and started to learn. Um, but then soon I met uh, uh, a really skilled traditional musician from the next small town and his name was Kurt uh, Talrot, distant relative to our guitar player and um, he invited me to come to see him and we can play tunes together he said that it's, it's good fun <laughs> and so I did um, and through him I was kind of in the system of <laughs> traditional musicians in the, in the province. So I, I met many of them through him. At what point did you decide that you wanted music making to be your, your career? Not until it kind of was, uh, it was, it was mostly for fun. Um, uh, I was starting to do some gigs together with Kurt uh, where he brought me along. Um, and then I, I started to teach some, and then I met Mikael. We met when we were maybe uh, 18 years old. I started to play together and we got some gigs. And uh, then I found myself uh, playing quite a bit. And uh, actually I could see it it might be possible to make a living from this. <laughs> but I, I, was an, I was trained as an electronics engineer. So I, when I was 25, I, I, I had been working as an engineer for a few years, uh, but music picked up more and more and I felt that now is the time to give it a try. So it was a mix. I got I got a gig on a theater, play, playing music for a theater, playing with Mikael and then Basen started and teaching some workshops and one thing leads to another. And That's so cool. I love hearing about how music was, was a part of your family life as you were growing up. I can really relate with that. My it's not a family tradition, but my father loves traditional music of all kinds and uh, particularly American old time music. And so I grew up with old time music jam sessions in our living room and other people's living rooms and backyards and going to festivals and conventions for it. And that was the main thing we did as a family. Um, and, but it took, it took seeing some professional 
old time musicians. Bruce Molsky was the one in particular who I, I realized like, wait, he, and, and I was getting to know Bruce as he was transitioning from a career as an engineer into a career as a, as a full blown uh, touring musician, watching that him perform and play these old songs and, and instrumentals and telling the stories of them and playing to sold out house concerts and, and, um, various, various size venues, the light bulb went out. I was like, well, oh, like you could, a person could do this. Um, and I heard stories about how hard it is to be on the road and, and from various people, but <laughs> yeah, I think it helps to, to develop the love for the music first and just realize this is so fun. Like I get to make music with other people. That's fun. But then it also helps to, to get to test the waters a little bit and either try it yourself, play for dances or see people, um, who are you know wonderful established musicians um, do what they do. I'd love to ask you about a couple of Vesson tunes over the years and just get your sense about how they came about because my first encounter with your music was through, Another student of Bruce's, Brittany Haas, who's been a friend of mine for quite a while now. Uh, she was in, we met as she was getting ready to go to college. And I lived in Pennsylvania and she was in college in New Jersey. And I would sometimes go visit her at Princeton. And we would just go to a, a practice room in the music school. And we would sit there and we'd play, well, of course, Josephine's Waltz and The Dragon Ship. And she, she introduced me to the, your music and I don't, maybe she learned about it through Daryl Anger, who I know you've collaborated with, who was one, her other main teacher. Um, but anyway, so I've had this relationship with some of your material for 20 years now or close to 20 years now. And so I would just love to, to get your sense kind of whether it's a tune you wrote or one of the other band members or traditional, just to throw some names of tunes at you and, and, and learn a little bit about where they come from. Um, would that be okay? Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's let's start with the the one I think I mentioned first, which is the dragon ship. Is that a is that a composed tune from one of the three of you? That's one of Mikael's tunes, uh, and the name, the dragon ship, is actually the where he lived at that time um, in a house uh, in a suburb. Of Stockholm, the actual block—the blocks have names. Uh, it's nothing you say. You don't speak about those names. It's more like a um, the name of the property, kind of. Uh, <laughs> but the name of that block is uh, Drakskeppet, which means the dragon ship. And I'm—I'm I'm not sure about. Uh, I, I. It's probably just. Uh, a fun little tune he he came up with. He com he com he com Mikael composed a lot of music, all the time.
quite prolific as well. Do you, have you been writing tunes from those early days of learning the nickel harpa? No, I, I started quite, quite early uh, to, to compose tunes as well. Because that, that was a natural, the majority of the old fiddlers I met and played together with and learned from, they composed too. Kut, for example, my, my first and main mentor and teacher, for him, it was a way of, he, he picked up an instrument every day, early in the morning, um, and if he didn't feel, if he didn't feel like it, kind of, if, if it was, oh, this is not the most fun I can think of right now, but <laughs> then he composed something and then it immediately was fun to him. It was fun to play music, to play this new piece of music. And I can, I can relate to that. It's sometimes you need to come up with something fun to play. <laughs> I am so inspired by that and by, th this is a, a feature of Swedish music that I've admired since I first learned of it. I got the impression, and you've confirmed it now, that there is a, a much more active engagement with the material in terms of people who play the traditional music also are writing tunes. And that's, like you're saying, it's it's not one or the other, It's but you might wake up one morning and say, oh, I kind of you know, I'm in the mood too, or this tune kind of creeps out or one thing I worry about the old time music community. And it's, I worry about it because I love the music and it's, it's my home musically is that I feel like there's, there's a dangerous reverence for the oldest tunes and the most archaic rarest tunes and not quite enough of a permission structure of like, and you can also write a tune. Um, and it, like, maybe there's a little, I don't know that, that a new tune is a second-class tune unless unless it really just takes off and is appearing at all the festivals, and then and then it's okay for it to be a new tune. Um, I, I don't like that. I, I, I like I like what you're describing, where writing a tune and playing an old tune sound like they're on the same footing. Yeah, and I, I would also say that lot lots of the the tune making uh, if you're playing in an in an ensemble it's also kind of customized for that ensemble you're composing something that you uh, strongly suspect that that the others will um, get ideas from and th and enjoy playing it's a lot of that as well when you're when you're creating a new repertoire so that makes me wonder then these first couple tunes that I that I'm wondering about from the the Vesson catalog, like the Dragon Ship, did did Mikael write that knowing? Did he write it for the band? Did he know that the three of you were going to arrange this? Do you remember? I don't think so. I think that was just something he came up with for the fun. <laughs> How about this? Is actually I think my favorite to play myself. Um, the tuning tune is it stamloten or how do you, how do you I don't speak Swedish how does one pronounce that tune? Yeah, stemloten. Stemloten. That means yeah, and that was um, that's one of Roger's tunes, and he he had this kind of little phrase he always played to check that the tuning was accurate when when he tuned his guitar. 
he he always the, the same little phrase came out to check some different intervals and and then one day he he decided to make a piece of music out of this little phrase I find that melody to just be so like soothing and satisfying. I, I've played it on guitar, just in standard tuning, and then on my my violin as well. Um, your band has, over the years, has produced more original tunes that I love than any other band in the world that I can name. I just really <laughs> like, in terms of music you've contributed, the three of you to to the to all of us to play. Um, it's just extraordinary to me. I, I love it. And Josephine's Waltz, is that also one of Roger's compositions? Do I remember that? Yes. And um, I remember when we learned that and played it the first time because that was um, for his niece, the baptism of his niece. Uh, and we learned it just before the, the kind of ceremony in church. And so the band, the band played it? for the baptism itself we did yes i think there's a, even a recording of it from from that <laughs> from that time old, old shaky video somewhere <laughs> What's it like to hear hear one of one of the original Vesson tunes come up in a jam, or or, or to know that the folks around the world are are taking these pieces and and keeping them going in their own way? It's 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 just fun. <laughs> it's and it's amazing, and that tune has spread enormously. I think there's people recording it every year, um, and there's so many stories of this. And it was really thanks to Dervish. 
I would say, the Irish band. We we played it on a festival in Copenhagen. We were hanging in the hotel lobby. They, it was a festival and we played this tune and, and, and they they really liked it and they wanted to learn it. So we, they learned it and uh, then, then they asked us to come to Dublin and record it together with them. Uh, so it, it was put in together with a song on one of their the album is called At the End of the Day. So it's spread out uh, from Dervish in the Irish music community. And that's a big network. I think that that was the how it happened. And then it came to America one way or another. I don't know. I learned it from Brittany. And now I know a lot of people know it here. And not, not as much the old time world, although, but like the the younger bluegrass musicians, the kind who might've gone to Berkeley or um, gone to Alistair Fraser's fiddle camp. Yeah. Somehow the tune got, got to the States and spread among the younger folks, my age and, you know, in their thirties and younger um, who go to fiddle camps and go to music school uh, as, as folk musicians. It's not as common as soldier's joy or some of our most common pieces, but it is one of those tunes. I find that if I meet a, another musician of my generation or, or, the next younger it's one of those that we'll have in common they might not know a lot of old time tunes and i might not know a lot of whatever tradition they're coming from but maybe they know josephine's which is an amazing thing about a tune there's a there's a, an american composed piece called red prairie dawn that was written by gary harrison remarkable um multi-talented musician and he built zithers and he collected a lot of traditional music in in illinois downstate illinois so south of chicago but he wrote this tune called red prairie dawn and i've heard very accomplished musicians who aren't old-time musicians i think it was julian lodge the jazz guitar player um the first two tunes he learned old-time tunes first one was angeline the baker or something classic american tune and the second one was red prairie dawn <laughs> um so i feel like josephine josephine's waltz has a similar <laughs> just uh, spreading power. How about on, on the record keyed up? How about flippin? Where does that come from? Flippin, that's one of Mikkel's uh, tunes as well. I don't know exactly if he composed it for this record, but he he had a lot of tunes. He was in a flow there. <laughs> and flippin is, I think he composed it on the fiddle, the normal fiddle. It's a, it's a fun fiddle tune and it's a it's kind of a challenge actually to play it on the nickel harpa but it, it's it's still fun but it <laughs> it's not one of the easiest 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 tunes on the nickel harpa but it's a fun high energy tune and that's also spread out in the world through punch brothers <laughs> yes i was just about to mention that i was so when that album of theirs came out with flipping on it i was so excited um to hear their treatment and they definitely dialed in the high energy that you're that you're talking about um and that that was a really fun really fun to hear it through their lens <laughs> yeah and it, on that album as well that's like the most one of the most traditional sounding tunes exactly <laughs> on on the record so a friend of mine was on tour 
in Australia. Um, and uh, there on the festival, someone played it as a traditional American <laughs> bluegrass piece. I've had this conversation with some friends of mine. Sometimes where you hear a tune first, just like so imprints, like, oh, that must be a bluegrass tune because this band that I think of as a bluegrass band, they played it well. Turns out it was composed by a Swedish musician. Yeah, you're you're totally right. So that for Punch Brothers fans or or people curious about Punch Brothers, that's from their album Who's Feeling Young Now, um, from ten years ago now, 2012. And as I look at the track list, yeah, there's they cover Kid A, the um, Radiohead tune, and then they have a bunch of their own originals. I would say by far, Flippin, which they parenthetically call it the Flip. Um, is much more traditional, sounds much more like a traditional fiddle tune than anything else on that record. So yeah, yes. it's funny that <laughs> that's the piece that is that makes them sound like the most like rootsy and rooted and folky. And it works. It's a great, it's a great addition to that album. There's one more I want to ask about from your deep catalog before we we finish up with some of my favorites from your new record. So um, tell me this tune Hasa A's also from Keyed Up. Uh, that was composed in the same period by Mikael. Uh, and um, Hasse A, that was, that's a neighbor of his who lived in the next house. He played, I think he played electric guitar or something um, and Mikael was jamming with Hasse and his band just just for the fu- for the fun I remember and for his birthday he composed this tune <laughs> I love I love music as as a present. That's that's a beautiful thing. To culminate this this conversation, I, it's it's such an honor to speak with you. I've, I've been such a, a fan of yours in particular and the band as a whole for so long. I I really love the new record. It's it's gorgeous and it it keeps the Vessen energy alive and moving forward. But like we were saying earlier on, with with these new elements, now that it's two of you and and trying different instruments 
added into the mix. So there, there are three pieces I want to ask you about. Um, and the third one I would love to feature as the full length track. So I would love to hear this, the Swedish pronunciation of this, but the first one I'm curious about is the Silver's Schottish. How, how would you say that? Silverschottis. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, is this one of your own? Yes. And um, this one, I um, I took uh, apart the my silver bass harpa. It's an old instrument. It's about a hundred years old. And when we were, I haven't really restored it. <laughs> I've just set it in shape to make it possible to play. Um, but then when we were going touring with that. Uh, instrument last summer well the yeah last summer i had to do some more serious uh, restoring i had to change the tangents the the, the little, little pegs stopping the string because me, some of those were falling out <laughs> uh, and some t- tuning pegs also were just wiggling around in those hundred year old holes so i took it apart um fixed everything and the first thing when i got it in tune it was this tune it kind of kind of cooked together in my head while working on this instrument and when i got it together it was just waiting sitting there waiting to be played <laughs> This tune has such a groove to it. Like uh, that melody is so hummable. I can imagine just like walking down the street. Like it's just like, it just like, it turns along in this joyful um, kind of bounce. Uh, there, there's no dark clouds in that one. It's all blue skies. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, love. What a, yeah. What a piece of music. All right. Second one off of the new album, the newest album, Duo, is this is this is the one that like makes my old time music brain kind of explode. Um, Svedmark, how how does one say that? Uh, Svedmark. Svedmark. Yeah. What's going on here rhythmically? Because I I imagine that it's it, the measures are full of three beats, but it seems like beats two and three are stretched out farther than beat one. Is that true? Well. Kind of. Uh, it's this is a 
the most common type of polska that was played on the, this silverbass harpa from from the 1800s. It was the dance um, of the period. It's called bun polska, and it's the style of polska. And the way you play it, it it's very bouncy. So you kind of um, accentuate uh, all all the beats in the measure. Do 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 So it's very woo 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 woo. And in this type of music, it's typical features are that if you play a phrase that's repeated, uh, like the two first measures, it's rhythmically similar, but slightly different notes. And then you always do something rhythmically with the second one. And a common thing to do is to play the second beat a bit earlier. So you make a very a rhythmical variation uh, if you have a similar repeated phrase like that. It's astounding to me. I love everything about it. And it's it's like both unsettling and incredibly exciting to my brain. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, there's a there's a part of me that's like, what's what? it's like watching an action movie coming from from the music that I that I've grown up was like, what's going to happen next? I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that that second beat coming just like a, a tad bit earlier than I expect is ah, oh, it's so it's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> Harmonically, uh, you are not on the edge of your seat. You, it's totally predictable, <laughs> the chord structure of, of that tune. While rhythmically, um, they managed to make that music very interesting. I think it's maybe kind to the listener that you make one of the features like very exciting and the other is a little bit more familiar because if it's all exciting, it's like, it's, is it too much? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, it, is that one an older tune then? Is that a traditional tune or composed in that style? No, that's a, that's an old one. And Sviedmark, he was, uh, he, he lived in the 1800s. And according to the legend, he, he had the best dance beat in the area uh, where he where he played, um, so he was he was kind of well known there in in his area there. So the last one I want to ask you about is my favorite off of duo, and I'd like to end the episode, the public episode, um, by playing it. 
Patreon supporters, you'll get to learn a tune-off of Olav uh, briefly. We'll do just a very, very express uh, lesson. Um, but to end the episode here, I'd love to hear about Advents Polska, and then we'll listen to it as we go out. Can you tell me about tell me how to actually say it in Swedish and and where this one comes from? Yeah, uh, Advents Polska, uh, <laughs> and we we just. Um, it was when we started to work on this record, it, it was during the pandemic. Uh, I guess it's about a little bit more. It's one and a half years ago because it was the, in the time of Advent uh, before Christmas. Uh, and um, I knew uh, Mikael was coming here. We, recorded the album in, in this room and rehearsed here and having that in mind i i was kind of excited <laughs> about so this tune came to me uh, on my silver boss harpa and uh, we sat i learned i taught it to him and we started to arrange it and played it and we had lots of fun with it and I gave it the name Advents Polska because I think it was about the first Advent when he came. Makes a lot of sense to me. Well, if I had to, if I had to pick one track just to tell a friend, oh, Vesson is a duo right now. They have a new record called Duo. Here's what they sound like. This would be the one. I think it's the whole record is is gorgeous. And congratulations on it and on on such an amazing trajectory of of the band over the decades. But I, I love the new sound, the two of you, and this this one tune, this one track, is just a great expression of all the all, all the advantages of of two strong musical voices working together. Um, the beautiful nickel nickel harpa, um, the gorgeous rich uh, bass electric viola sound. Um, so we'll listen to it as we go out. But thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and from all the, you're, you're you're my guest who's piping in from the farthest away. So thanks for zooming zooming in from Sweden for this. Thank you for asking. It's been a pleasure.
Relax Your Grid is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Matt Brown. Tim Brown provides post-production assistance. Otto Allard is the designer. Max Allard created and played the transition music. Tune in next time for another episode, and until then, relax your grid. <laughs>